Hello, I'm Alice Arnold, and this week on the Musicals and Theatre podcast, I'm talking to Ruthie Henschel about her career in musical theatre. If you enjoy it, then please do join me on Saturday and Sunday mornings from 6 till 10 on Mellow Magic. Well, I have got in the studio with me today, Ruthie Henschel. How exciting is that? Um, You are such a massive star. I'm going to list some of your achievements. You know them, but for everybody else, you are a five-time Olivier Award nominee. Um, Your Broadway debut was in Chicago as Velma Kelly. That's right, yeah. Uh, You've been the lead in all the big shows. You've been the lead in Cats, She Loves Me, Crazy For You, Miss Saigon, Oliver, Billy Elliot. Well, the list just goes on and on and on. So I, I can't tell you how excited I am to have you in the studio with me because I'm just a massive musical theatre fan, as you've probably gathered. Um, so I wanted to ask you, well, let's go back to the very beginning and then we'll bring you up to the present day as we go through. So did you always know that this was this was your calling? Yes. Uh, I honestly don't remember wanting to do anything else and it was from the moment that I found dancing, which was about 10 years old, and it was like somebody switched the light on, you know, that aha moment that you have when you go, oh, I love this. And it was ballet, of all things. Um, you know, for, for quite a while there, I was very, um, uh, well, I thought that was where my career was going to go. And then somebody gave me a real sort of, you know, awakening um, and said, you're not good enough, darling. Oh, really? <laughs> reality check. Yeah, yes. big reality check. Because, you know, I wasn't... Um, you know, my technique was nowhere near for a dancer. And I, I think, you know, the discipline that you need to stay in that business for as short a time as they get to stay in it. And the physical punishment. It's insane. It's extraordinary. Extraordinary. Yeah. yeah. So, anyway, you did go to... You went to, to theatre school after, after I 16. Did. Yes, Lane Theatre Arts. Yeah. And, uh, and then you learnt the whole lot. Yes, and I think that was when sing. I, yes, it was like, oh, 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 oh. I felt like sort of Victor Meldrew. I do believe it, I do believe it. As all these sort of new, wonderful things came at me and I thought, oh, and I only thought that was ballet. <laughs> so it was gorgeous. And what was your first sort of big break? I mean, you were in choruses, presumably, to yeah. start with. And then yeah. I was, was in first? Cats. I was yeah. in uh, the original cast of Miss Saigon, you know, playing Bar Girl number three. And, mm-hmm. and it was actually in Miss Saigon that I thought, if if I'm going to do this business, I want to be at the front because I went, I understudied uh, Ellen and I went on for it. And uh, Alan Bubli, um and Claude Michel Schoenberg were in that night and Claude Michel often reminds me of the fact that I walked past him after the, the bow, Ellen's bow, um, my first time on and I said... He said, you came past me and you said, uh, Claude, I have been at the front. I am never going back. <laughs> <laughs> so, and he said, and you did not. And that was where I decided that I wasn't going to understudy anymore. I wasn't going to take chorus jobs. I would only do them if it was the lead. Right. Um, and somehow or other that worked. I don't yeah. know how it did, but it did. I think, do you know, what? I honestly think half of the battle is knowing what you want and then just, you know, being sort of fairly blinkered about how you... Go yeah. for it. So did you have to turn down chorus work? And Only and a say, couple, really. Yeah. Um, but it was that thing of, I think it's sending out the message. You, you know, your, your agent is saying, no, she won't come in for that. No, she's not coming yes. in for that. So all of a sudden they're thinking, well, maybe, well, we'll call her in for the auditions for this. And, and 
And of course, at the age of 23, 24, you are really still the new thing, even though mm. you've been doing it for years. Um, and so at the grand old age of 25, when I did uh, Crazy For You, I was apparently discovered, although right. I'd sort of done years of... And that was your first big major lead, yep. It was the first role that I created as opposed mm -hmm. to took over like in Les Miserables or Cats. And so, yeah, it was, it was incredibly exciting because you then are the blueprint and everybody who comes afterwards does what... copy you. Yeah, does what you set and you, you get such a voice in a new show and that is what is... There is nothing like that. I don't know if people realise that that's how it works in musical theatre, that when you go in as a replacement for somebody, you basically have to do exactly what yeah. that person before you did because the lights are all set up for it, sound's all set up, all the other actors are set up for it, and there isn't any freedom. No. It's not like going into a straight play where you would be able to make the part your own if you yes. went in for someone else. But in musical theatre, it's, it's so sort of um, structured... That, that you're not able to do that unless unless you create the part. No, um, not at all. It certainly surprised me when I first went into... A, a they may musical. tell you that, that you know, um, producers will often sort of hook you in with, well, we'll let you make it your own and what have mm. you, but experience tells you that you have to look, if it's on already, you have to look at that and say, do I really want to play this role? Mm. And, you know, does the script do it for me? And that kind of thing. And... You know, because if they're saying what it might be, probably it will, will end up looking exactly as it is. <laughs> <laughs> so what's your favourite musical? It, it uh, Crazy Few is, is absolutely yeah, top of. I think because I came in to the business of musical theatre because I was completely in love with the MGM musicals. And so when Crazy Few mm. came along, it was an MGM musical on stage and, and I couldn't believe my luck. And then sort of close close second stroke third would be uh, Chicago and Les Mis just because of the the experiences and the, the, the stories, I think. Um, you know, Chicago has taken me all around the world and it has also um, enabled me to perform with some incredible other women. So what was it like going to Broadway? Absolutely. In comparison to the West End? It... it it might they might be theatre, but as far as I'm concerned, it's a completely different experience. Oh, how? Um, we are much quieter. Our audiences we're very sort of you know jolly good. Yes, very good. Um, and the Americans are much louder. They it's much more of an interactive experience for them, which in musical theatre is wonderful. Um, I don't know how well it works in plays over there. Mm -mm. <laughs> you know, but no, I, I think the thing about um, New York is that in New York, everybody knows what's going on at the theatre, whether they like the theatre or not. It's just such a huge part of their culture in New York. And so, you know, musical theatre people who overhear, we're not... So I would say that there's a, there's a, there's a little totem pole in, in performing arts in England, which is that we're, um, I think musical theatre is fairly sort of down the bottom and then we do uh television and then we, it's our straight plays and then it's our movie actors and you know there's this we have a a respect for these incredible brilliant um straight actors of ours and 
musical theatre, I think, is always seen as a you know, a bit of fun and, um, you know, I don't think people realise how hard it is. No, <laughs> but it's interesting that that um, to sort of break through into the public's perception, yeah. you're right, I mean, you are probably one of the very few musical theatre stars whose pe- people would know your name yeah. outside musical theatre. Yeah, I was and talking I, about this, yeah. Do you think, um, when you were a judge on Dancing on Ice, That's right. did that change things in terms of your... Public, the way the public saw your recognition factor. It must have yeah. been, presumably. Yeah, and I, I, what I realised is that there is a very big divide um, with the way that people treat people in the theatre and people on television. Um, there seems to be a great respect for theatre from the point of view that I think because people can come to the stage door and they can say hello and get your autograph and they can see you live on stage. Suddenly when you're on that screen you become almost theirs. It's like you're in their living room Mm -hmm. and there's a different feel to it. It it became, whereas I'd had sort of no negative press whatsoever, anything that I said um, once I'd gone on Dancing on Ice, all of a sudden there was a sort of... um, I can't even expect, but it just seemed like that it got slightly colder. There was a chill... Oh, that came that came across that I suddenly thought I'm in a different arena here, and I know it is, and and I was very aware that it was gladiatorial, and it really was about you know boo yay yeah um, because when we went on tour with the arena tour afterwards that absolutely was what it is, which is that you know and and I was asked because Jason the the baddie. Uh, wasn't going on tour that year and they I was encouraged to, to be the bad to be you know so that so that if I did actually have a harsh word to say an arena full of people would be going boo which is an actress's yes. nightmare <laughs> so Unless you have to pantomime. take it for what it is but yes yes which I suppose it would it would be yeah more like doing a pantomime yeah it was it was it was a a big experience of and and I think what we're talking about there is celebrity versus you know theatre and and having a career and this kind of thing suddenly you become a person and you know it it, it, it's then how much you you are liked what you're wearing what you're saying and it was a real eye-opener to me Yes, indeed. Well, talking about sure going out of it. your out of your comfort zone, but this might be in your comfort zone because you have produced a show to go on the liner Arcadia yes. on, on the cruise ship. How did you enjoy producing a show rather than performing? Because you're not in the show, are you? But no. you, you've you've given it to your performers to perform. We have. We we uh, basically we've put a show on, on the Arcadia called Money Makes the World Go Round and we're now being commissioned to do a couple of others because it went so well. Um, uh, it went well in the end, but I have absolutely learnt things that I never thought I would learn. I mean, being the other side is an eye-opener for me. Um, and knowing, you know, like the, um, Cameron McIntosh now, you know, he sometimes he is banned from the rehearsal room, you know, because he knows what he likes, what he wants. He comes in and he says, no, I don't like that. And where's the pieman? And, you know, all this, so everyone goes, keep Cameron out. But he knows it's, it's his baby. Every single one of these things are his baby. He knows what he wants. He knows what he loves. And I realised how he must feel. 
because you want to keep stepping in and there are times when you have to leave it to your creative team. But what was the the most terrifying thing for me was watching the opening night yeah. and not having any control. Because there's nothing you can do about it. Done, gone, given, given it. it. Yep. And, and that was hard. Especially when you can do it so well yourself. Because at least most producers probably going, well, I can't even, you know, kick my leg half the way in the air. But you can. So you're watching people do it probably less well, well than you would do it because you're... Well, the difficult thing there was that we had, when we came along, the ship had already been cast. So we had to work with who was on board. Um, now, you know, few, there was some talent there. But there, so there were moments when you know something needs to be done a certain way and you can't get it out of that person. Mm. And so you've got to find a way to work with what they've got, what they are. Um, and so it's a very different producing job on a ship where they give you a cast as opposed, as opposed to, to... being able to cast yourself. And yes. would, you like, would you like to do that? Would you like Abs- to put on a production and from the very beginning? Absolutely. This is, this is where um, I'm going, hopefully, with Three Pin Productions, is to, you know, we, we seem to have found a great, uh, th- a great way of producing and uh, coming up with stuff that has excited us. We're putting them on ships, but then the next thing, of course, is to... Come on, land Bring them on shore. Bring, Bring them on shore. Yes. Um, well, we'll go. Uh, just a few general questions now. If you could be a character from any musical, not play a character, right. be a character, who would that be? Oh, that's such a great question. Wow. Um. God, <laughs> wow. Oh, you know. I, I think I'd have to be Hello Dolly, really. I think I'd have to be Dolly Levi. Yeah, yeah. What a life. Is your daughter named after Dolly Levi? No, she's okay. actually named after my grandmother. Now, do you, do you live in London now? In no, London, I live or in you, Suffolk. Do you yeah. live in Suffolk? E- Essex, actually. Essex, Suffolk. Okay, border. and you mentioned that you've got a dog. What sort of dog? Because we, we like dogs here on, oh. on, on Mellow Magic Podcasts. We like them very much. Um, I want to know about your dog, please. Oh, she's called Poppy. She's nine years old. She's a little white uh, miniature schnauzer. And she was a gift. And she was a gift because the, the I lost a sister called Noel. And the breeder had named this little one Noel. Um, and she uh, came along three months after my sister passed away. So these friends of mine sent me this little dog. I'd never had a dog before. None of our family had ever had animals, ever. Um, and I am completely in love. Um, she has come along, and even with my father and mother as they're getting older, um, they look after her when I can't. And, m- you know, my father says she is one of the biggest joys of his life. Mm. I think cause he's always wanted a dog. So, and everyone's completely in love with her, and she's one of these dogs, and I don't know if you find it with your dogs. What's your dog? Uh, Archie. Now, I don't know if you find this, but if you are having a hard day or anything like that, there's something they know this. And I went through, I remember going through a patch where I was really at a low for a few months and I was um, duvet diving. And uh, she sat on my bed. She didn't leave my side every time I was there. And then I'd walk her and then come back and duvet dive again and do what I had to do, and she was amazing. They do know. Yes. They do know. 
And, and I didn't Archie believe has it many before faults, then. But he is quite good comfort in times of, <laughs> times of sorrow. Faults, really? Those are, yes. <laughs> Least perfect dog in the world. <laughs> My dog's wonderful. My dog's... And we have to go, our dog is a little... Anyway, um, we won't swear on air, but um, but he has his good point, and you have to love them. Whether they and people say, well, of course we love him because he's our dog. You can't you can't send it back. It's like no. a child. I mean, absolutely. You can't, he is not perfect, but we love him as if he was perfect. But anyway, <laughs> well, Ruthie, thank you so much. Um, that has just been the most enlightening chat, and thank you so much for your time. Total pleasure. Thank you. I'm Alice Arnold and that was the Musicals and Theatre Podcast. If you enjoyed that, then you can hear me every Saturday and Sunday morning from 6 till 10 on Mellow Magic, where I have lots of lovely, timeless, relaxing classics, musical numbers and interviews. 